I am your white host, Sean KB. Sitting across from your other white host, other white host, yeah. AP Andy, and the two of us, to our white surprise, are on our second episode. No one thought it could be done. No one thought it was possible. What did we decide to call this shit? We decided. Oh, we had a really good. What was our funny? I think we could by right call it to their white surprise. We could call it, uh, if we wanted to riff on uh, Ross Wolf, we could call it Don't Read Settlers. But that's not even really the fucking what we're on on this. You know? No, it's, we're going to call it This American Life with 3K. America <laughs> Cooking Life. Yes. Who came up with that? Was that our Discord or was that? Daniel Epstein. Oh, interesting. Daniel Epstein. No relation. But yeah, somebody, one of our patrons. Thank you for that. Yeah. So, I think maybe we'll just call it something different every time. Yeah, I think the America dream is, uh, or this American, this American life, or this American dream. This American life. This American life. Um, but on that note, I looked up why they he, they use the K. Yeah. Because I always thought it was because of the KKK thing, but then he spells African with a K. Okay. Yeah. And so I, the use of K in African comes from Black Nationalist circles because in Africa they use a K. Okay. And so the C is sort of like an anglicization or even like an American anglicization. So they're using the K to differentiate the U.S. narrative of African history okay. from a black nationalist narrative. So the KKK thing, I think, is gotcha. uh, a step after the use of K in Africa. Uh, what part of Africa do they use the K in? Apparently most of Africa. Okay. All right. But like the Boers, you know, obviously Afrikaners. Afrikaner, yeah. So I, yeah, that's the. So the Boers' white surprise, they were thrown out by the Anglos. Mm-hmm. And they had to go on a Vortrek for a little but, bit. But that's a different history. But right, this is the history of uh, the American settler nation. The American settler and nation. So we'll be reading chapter two. We'll talk about chapter two and three, and we maybe a little bit of four, but we'll, we'll say four is a big one, so we'll save most of that for next time. Four is what's going to transition us into a more modern history because what chapters two and three set us up for is um, like the birth of a nation, you know? Mm-hmm. Not the Cecil B. DeMille one or whatever, but uh, the actual birth of uh, the United States of America. What Sakai wants to do, and I spent a decent amount of time thinking about this book after I read these chapters because like... If you remember the first session, we're kind of like, maybe not who is this book for, because we mentioned it was written in the 80s, and we mentioned that Sakai was part of like the Maoist international movement, sort of um, like new African movement of, uh, of the new left. But I was like, who is he arguing against? And I think I kind of figured out who he's arguing against because of the people that he cites in there and the type of history that he cites. He... In chapter two, he takes on Bacon's Rebellion, right? Which I never really knew much about, so this is a good history for me, but I'm curious to hear how you felt he dealt with that history. Well, no, I I was going to say, I was actually going to give him a a lot of credit here because the history of Bacon's Rebellion that I read had been like the new left uh, history from below uh, reading of it. Where um, essentially it's like um, it's like a first revolution where like uh, where 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 the historiography that I read situates Bacon's rebellion is that it's like black and white coalition against the planter class. 
right? So it's like this early instantiation of a sort of rebellious working class American politics that gets sort of subsumed within like the larger um, anti-colonial project, let's say, or like the independence project that pops up a hundred years later with the with the War of Independence, and that Bacon's Rebellion, and this is in the 1670s, represents represented a sort of like lost opportunity for uh, enslaved blacks and for indentured servant whites to band together uh, in order to fight for more liberties, in order to fight for their economic well-being, uh, and to fight for their democratic rights, you know, as Anglo members of the colony. That's the, that's the history that I always knew up until recently, and that's the history that Sakai does, I think, a really good job here of undermining, right? Because what he points out, and I think this is very true, is that what you had with Baker's Rebellion was um, began as and ended as essentially what so much of colonial history was, which is a land grab, and uh, the desire for settlers, whether the ruling class therein, or from like a sort of popular ground-up um, mass popular movement of settlers to steal land, essentially, to squat land, to kick off the uh, inhabitants of that land, and uh, to use it for their own purposes in order to become yeoman. And so I think Sakai does really well in Chapter 2 in arguing against the sort of rose-tinted history where at the end of it, as you know, that new left historiography, at the end of it, it's like, oh, well, shucks, there was this opportunity for white and black to fight together in order to take down the colonial authorities and fight for their rights as citizens. citizens. But all shucks, what ends up happening instead is that the threat of the unity of white and black, of indentured servants and slaves, leads the colonial authorities to move away from indentured servitude and towards, uh, A, more slavery, and B, some limited enshrining of rights of white colonists. So Sakai, I think, does a really good job here of like undermining that narrative. And the narrative comes from, I'd say the two things that really resonated with me in terms of the traditional narrative is from Herbert Apthaker. Uh, he, said, he describes this guy as the Communist Party USA's expert on Africans. Um, and yeah, they, did, they describe Bacon as like a, early American revolutionary leader who mm-hmm. united with uh, across class and race to fight the colonial government um, with a democratic progressive agenda. Right, which is very in keeping of like uh, Leninist doctrine of the CPUSA about, you know, the stages that revolutions have to go through, right? And then that echoes um, this memorial tablet that's presumably still in the Virginia State Capitol, that singles out Bacon as a great patriot leader of the Virginia people. And that is where Sakai is able to get his gotcha in. And it's a great gotcha, which is that he's like, you know, the functionaries, he calls him like the African expert at the CPUSA and the arch segregationists in uh, Virginia both agree Uh that this uh, Francis Bacon Jr. fella is a great revolutionary. So, like, obviously... There's some sort of settler conspiracy or some sort of settler ideology that unites not only like William Byrd of the KKK slash Senate and the CPUSA. Pretty good gotcha, if you ask me. And then the the food bacon is also named after this guy. Yeah, that's right. So let's smoke bacon a little bit more. What what's the true story? 
someone who he aligned with some native people to extinguish some other native people, and then once that was done, he raided the uh, the pelt stores of yeah. the people he united with. The, the and, his, yeah. and his demand on the colonial government was that us settlers should have the right to extinguish all native people from this land and take everything that they have. And if you don't let us go as far as we want to do in like this genocidal uh, conquest of this land, then we're going to burn down Jamestown and, yeah. and take over. Yeah, we're going to take over. And that seems to be, uh, assuming you know his history, I, th- I feel like his history, like... You know, it's stated in this narrative that's very different, but it seems to be largely accurate. Yeah. If that's the true history, it is extremely messed up that he's being revered in any way by totally anyone. Yeah. By anybody, yeah. Like, um, you know, no expert, of course, in 17th century American history, but I think, like, I did read a little bit of secondary sources. I actually read uh, Eric Foner, who uh, uh, Sakai quotes his uh, famous his- historian father, Philip Foner, a lot in this because Philip Foner was like an old labor historian uh, of the labor movement and a Marxist. But yeah, like, from what I've read, I think Sakai has a pretty accurate read on this entire thing. I think his zinger against new left historiography, like bottom-up historiography, is, is really solid. And I think that the way he portrays it sounds right, which is that this is a civil war within the colonial ruling class, that only took on a popular aspect because one section of elites was able to leverage uh, the discontent of the popular classes against another uh, segment of the ruling classes. The ruling class, the Governor Berkeley, who was in power, uh, the documents say was like extremely corrupt. He was giving out like nepotism jobs. He was like basically stealing from the public treasury. He was a bad ruling elite, right? And so what Bacon wanted to do in this by with his genocidal program was to become a new and better um, ruling elite, a better genocider. More, but importantly, the the colonial government wanted to divide and conquer the native people, right? Um, so, which meant you had to have a strong alliance with some of them for some period of time, or has Bacon just wanted to? kill them all and take their stuff as quickly as possible. Yeah, and and one of the great ironies, again pointed out by Sakai, is that really under Great Britain, because Great Britain is playing a balance of power game in North America, because obviously you have the French out over to the west, uh, and you have the Spanish to the south, the native people stood in the middle, and various different attempts were made by all three of those powers to make alliances, fitful alliances with one group or another, because at any point, the French, and this happened, or, or the English or the Spanish, uh, could make enough of an alliance set with the native peoples who still had like a, the preponderance of power in the middle of the continent to like fate, fatally destroy the colonial project of one of the others. So Great Britain is playing this uh, balance of power, great powers game, whereas the people on the ground, the colonial uh, the incipient sort of colonial governors and certainly the settlers themselves are not playing a balance of power game. Their interest is, of course, in their land hunger and their desire for profit and exploitation. Um, and so in a re- very real sense, it's Great Britain who is the progressive actor at this point in time, the one who's willing to cut deals uh, with the native people, at least enough to leave them alone uh, to the west of the colonies uh, 
as opposed to like uh, Nathaniel Bacon Jr. who just wants to extirpate them. Something that, of course, becomes very, very real and um, a very real and bloody crime and tragedy in U.S. history, which over the next 200 years is the extirpation, as Bacon called for, of uh, the first peoples of this country.